0: With the right approach, transportation strategies can help address population growth, traffic congestion and air quality, and even save money and help build community partnerships.
1: We sat down with some experts who work with Triangle Clean Cities, which covers the Raleigh, Durham, Chapel Hill region of North Carolina, to talk about how Transportation Demand Management or TDM benefits their communities.
0: So I'm Molly Putzig.
1: And I'm Eric Ringel.
0: And today we're talking about TDM. Which can mean a lot of different things like transit, active commuting, carpooling, improved roads. And this year, many of us got very familiar with telecommuting. But how do you determine what's right for your city, your organization, or even yourself?
1: So, for this episode of On the Go and On Road Transportation podcast with Clean Cities, we're taking a look at that question and more. And to do that, we're going to turn you over to one of our colleagues at the National Renewable Energy Lab, Steve Lomley, to take a closer look at why TDM is important how to go about it, and what the future might look like. So hi everyone, this is Steve
2: Lomley. I'm a transportation project leader at the National Renewable Energy Laboratory. And I work to connect insights from the U.S. Department of Energy's Energy Efficiency Energy Efficient Mobility Systems Program, or EAMS for short, to uh, stakeholders working to improve transportation and mobility in communities around the country. Uh, so eames is a program of the vehicle technologies office part of the doe's office of energy efficiency and renewable energy and eames works to understand the system level impacts that emerging transportation technologies and services will have on mobility and uh, to identify solutions that improve mobility energy productivity um, which is the energy the time and the affordability of transportation So one particular area of work that can benefit from EAMS insights and technologies are transportation demand management programs and the focus of today's podcast is to dig into TDM with some folks who have some deep experience setting up and running a TDM program. With that, I'd like to allow each of our speakers to introduce themselves. Uh, So Sean, if you can start us
3: out, please. Sure, Sean Flaherty, Principal Planner with the Triangle J Council of Governments. Uh, well, we are located in the Greater Research Triangle Region of North Carolina. I also serve as the co-coordinator for the Triangle Queen Cities Coalition. Thank you. Uh, Suchi, please.
4: Uh, sure, thanks. My name is Suchi Gupta, and I work as a planner at Triangle J Council of Governments, and I am what you may say as boots on the ground for the DDM program. Thank
5: you. Great. Thank you. Uh, John. Hey, thanks, Steve. Uh, John Hodges Koppel, the Metro Planning Director at Triangle J Council of Governments. Thank you, John. Dale?
6: Dale McKeel, Transportation Planner with the Durham Chapel Hill Carborough Metropolitan Planning Organization. And we are the MPO that serves the western part of the Triangle region. Great. Thank you, Dale. Brandon?
7: Hey uh, Brandon Watson here with the North Carolina Capital Area Metropolitan Planning Organization and I'm a transportation planner. and we serve the eastern side of the triangle located in Raleigh, North Carolina.
2: Perfect thank you Brandon and Jill.
8: My name is Jill Vitus. I'm with the North Carolina Department of Environmental Quality I'm um, in the mobile source compliance branch, an environmental engineer, and we are responsible for the grant program for um, Diesel Emission Reduction Act and also for the Volkswagen mitigation um, funds.
0: Okay, so now you know the team. Before we dive into TDM, let's set the scene by hearing from John about the Triangle J region that we're going to be focusing on today.
5: Triangle J is a seven county. Uh, region. Um, And the triangle, right, is our three core counties. So uh, Wake County, where uh, our capital city, Raleigh, is located, Uh, Durham County, City of Durham, um, and then uh, Orange County, uh, where Chapel Hill is. And and of course, the research triangle actually referred to those three tier one universities, uh, Duke, which always needs to be mentioned first, uh, then UNC Chapel Hill and Chapel Hill, and um, NC State over in Raleigh. And then the Research Triangle Park, uh, uh, this very large uh, research park, is right in the middle. Um, And in fact, the the park operates as a foundation and the three university presidents and chancellors sit on their board, so it's a uh, a, a very collaborative, coordinated structure for the region. Um, but it's grown leaps and bounds. I think I mentioned back in the early 90s, we you know we reached a million. Uh, we reached two million back in either late 2019 or early 2020, um, and we'll reach three million uh, in in another 25 years or so. And we'll be the size in another 25 years or so of a of a Denver or a Salt Lake City uh, or a St. Louis. So, uh, you know, a lot of these places that um, that are much more advanced on their transit investments, say than than we are. All right. So
2: um, now that we've taken care of introductions, I'd like to dig into transportation demand management a little bit. So, uh, John, um, if you could start out by just giving us um, a brief overview of what TDM is, and kind of talk us through um, demand and supply uh, side management for transportation, and and why um, specifically uh, communities uh, pursue TDM programs
5: yes i'll uh, be happy to so you know as anybody who works in in transportation knows we we spend probably the lion's share of our time uh, dealing with with transportation supply issues right what what roads are we going to to build or widen or operate differently what uh, buses are we going to buy what transit routes are we going to put in place uh, what active transportation facilities uh, are we going to are we going to put down uh, you know bike paths and sidewalks um, And so so transportation demand management then at its heart is really designed to make sure that whatever we invest in, uh, roads or transit or active transportation, that we're using that as effectively as possible, right? The the demand side, just like any kind of supply-demand conversation, uh, is about uh, making sure that uh, folks know about. Uh, the facilities that could be used, the services that are available, and then encourages them to use them in ways uh, that are most productive for the community. And so whether that's um, uh, for environmental reasons or or other community benefits, uh, that's really what transportation demand management is about. so the the program, as we run it, and I think as many places do, is about um, is about encouraging uh, people, incenting them, uh, to take transit or to work from home, from to telecommute, which of course during during COVID has been especially important, um, or to ride bikes or to walk uh, for those trips uh, that that can be done that way, and you you might have heard in the introductions we've got uh, two MPOs in our region, right? Metropolitan Planning Organizations, kind of that federal structure for making transportation decisions, and the state, and so. It's really through this collective effort uh, that we're able to run the program. Um, and then we work directly with with service providers, right? So um, so nobody's going to decide to use transit because because a regional planner uh, encourages them to do so. Uh, but if they hear something from a coworker, from their employer, uh, from their neighborhood, they're far more likely, to To try something, so so our whole transportation demand management program uh, is structured as a very broad partnership with the the main service providers uh, being uh, being those uh, those employers who have the direct connection uh, to their uh, to their workers and and in the case of the triangle, um, you know, we obviously have. Uh, Ah, uh, four very prominent universities, and so they're major partners. We have the the Research Triangle Park, probably what our region is best known for as a brand. So the park itself is a is a service provider and a partner. Uh, we work really closely with our regional transit agency, uh, Go Triangle, um, as one of as the regional service provider. So it's um, so it's not just the the activities themselves, right? The things we do to encourage uh, to educate. Uh, to incent but then the whole process of of undertaking that who we work with uh, and through and honestly in our region that's that's especially important uh, for a number of reasons one is we're, we're very fast growing uh, so actually just probably about a year ago uh, we added our two millionth resident uh, to the triangle and all the forecasts are that over the next generation we'll add another million right so we've got a lot of people coming uh we're not going to be able to to build everything to to keep ahead of that growth. And so using what we do build or, or do provide is is so critical in in a rapidly growing Sunbelt region like ours. And then another big reason why this is important is because at least in in our area, uh, you know, our our pollution concerns are primarily uh, vehicle pollution, right? We don't have, you know, big, big belching smokestack industry kind of things. Uh, most of our pollution comes from cars and trucks, uh, and it's um, and we are a uh, uh, an ozone uh, um, uh, area. So, so uh, getting getting rid of those uh, those um, emission precursors for ozone are are really where we want to put our emphasis. And to the degree we can cut down on um, on congested travel, right? That's a good way to do it.
2: Great, thanks so much, John. Um... Sean or uh, Shuchi, do you have anything to add?
3: I would just add on the return on investment side that the bang for the buck that we see in air quality improvements and congestion mitigation through TDM is usually top in class, if that's the right way to say it, in terms of this demand versus supply conversation and that encouraging people to not drive alone to work, you're gonna see a lot of benefits, uh, less wear and tear on our infrastructure, uh, John mentioned the air quality improvements. Our primary metric is reduction in the growth of vehicle miles traveled. And from measuring vehicle miles traveled reduced, we can uh, calculate associated air quality benefits. And I think we'll talk about this a little later uh, during the podcast, but we're looking at other um, creative ways to measure performance and communicate that uh, so that it's more meaningful to major employers and and frankly, even, uh, Uh, major decision makers in the region. Great, thank you, Sean. Now, John, you mentioned the importance
2: of partnerships with other organizations in the community, so I want to give uh, the MPOs and um, North Carolina Department of Environmental Quality a chance to kind of weigh in on why uh, TDM is important uh, to their organizations. So, uh, Jill, if you might um, tell us a little bit about uh, your role with the TDM program and and why it's important to NCDEQ.
8: Sure. Um, As John mentioned, uh, for North Carolina and specifically in the metropolitan um, areas, the biggest thing that we're worried about is mobile sources for precursors of ozone, so NOx formation, and uh, cars, trucks, uh, construction equipment. They're all major contributors and things that we're going to need to Uh, be looking at. And from an environmental quality standpoint, uh, there are regulations in place. There's of course the um, federal emission requirements for motor vehicles. Um, There's statewide or or specific to counties, um, inspection and maintenance programs that we're doing. So from a regulation standpoint, um, we're doing as many things as we can but then there's this other piece to the pie that John was talking about that is it's more of a getting people to get out of their cars. Um, how can we reduce, and Sean talked about it too, how can we reduce the vehicle miles traveled and giving people options for a single occupancy vehicle is is a, is a good thing. And it's going to be where we're gonna to have to go with the amount of growth we're having in the region. And so, you know, um, from a, a regulator standpoint, anything that we can do to help reduce that VMT is gonna be a good thing. And so D- TDM is a good thing.
2: Perfect, thanks, Jill. Um, and then I uh, wanna give Dale and Brandon a chance to weigh in as well. Uh, Dale?
6: Sure, so I would say from the perspective of the MPO, uh, we invest uh, uh, some of the uh, congestion mitigation air quality funds that come to the MPO into the regional uh, uh, transportation demand management program. And you know to look back historically, a lot of the demand for this program came from um, major employers in our region, uh, particularly when major highway that runs through Research Triangle Park was experiencing a lot of congestion. And as, you know, as the region was growing, uh, we were looking for some quick fixes that didn't involve um, you know, major investments in road construction that would take a, a long time. So that was the emphasis for the program uh, many years ago or at least one of the, uh, one of the reasons that it, that it got started um, but you know there are in addition to, to some of the things that have been mentioned by others um, i think the energy savings uh, that we can offer to our residents are, is another um, important aspect of the program and we have a lot of residents you know who may not be able to or who do not uh, own a, a personal vehicle. And by providing uh, ways to affordably get to jobs which may not be you know, near their um, where they live, uh, this program uh, provides ways for our residents to get to those uh, good-paying jobs uh, that are that are also coming to this region. Uh, and finally, you know one other benefit of the program. Is the health benefits, uh, particularly from the active transportation modes, um, we often promote uh, safe routes to, to school, and um, more recently, you know, we've we've also looked at the health benefits of of people walking and biking uh, to their jobs and um, and making you know use of the facilities that we're investing in uh, for walking and biking. So those are some additional uh, reasons that the MPO is interested in this
2: program. Great, thanks, Dale. Yeah, I'm, I think that point about giving people options is um, is really interesting and noteworthy. Uh, not only for people who are drivers of single occupant op- op- vehicles, uh, for people who don't have a vehicle and need other ways to get to uh, work. So that's that's a great point.
1: Molly, that was a great look into why TDM is important to different parties and people. We also talked with our guests about how their organizations support transportation demand management. So let's hear from Jill first.
8: Yeah, so from a North Carolina um, environmental quality perspective, you know, we are involved as um, a partner in, in part on the oversight committee. Uh, we are also involved in reviewing um, CMAC proposals, uh, as Dale was mentioning earlier, the fact that uh, CMAC funds are used for this purpose. We also uh, review the other applications that the Department of Transportation receives and make sure that uh, we support what it is they're doing, whether it be providing more services, replacing um, poor services, uh, adding sidewalks, uh, replacing buses, those kinds of things. The, that's what CMAC is funding. And so um, air quality, we, we review all those, make sure that they're meeting the requirements that we have from our um, state implementation plan and just ensure that we're not doing anything that we shouldn't be doing. I guess another way that we support TDM is through the Air Awareness Program. Uh, We have an outreach and education program that uh, gets out to the public, to school-age children, to just the general public to tell them about things that they can do uh, to help improve air quality and you know, one of the best things that they can do is is get out of their single, single occupancy vehicles.
2: Great, thanks, Jill. And I'm not actually sure if we spelled this out earlier, um, but just to be sure, um, Jill, can you please tell us what CMAAC is?
8: Congestion Mitigation and Air Quality. Um, and it's typically funding that is provided through DOT.
2: Perfect. Thanks, Jill. Uh, so, Dale, maybe if you can uh, walk us through a little bit about um, how your organization supports the TDM program.
6: Well, as with um, as as Jill mentioned, um, the the way some of the CMAC funding is. Um, Allocated in, in North Carolina, NCBOT does sub-allocate some of the funding to the MPOs. And and so we uh, use a portion of those funds that are allocated to the MPOs to support the, the regional TDM efforts. And, of course, the um, the MPOs also uh, have a member serving on the Oversight Committee, which provides oversight to the program and reviews applications each year from service providers and and we also um, just uh, participate in, in meetings of the service providers themselves um, to uh, stay abreast of their activities and provide guidance to them um, as, as we are requested to do so
7: so yeah, we, we also serve on the oversight committee. Um, sounds like they uh, Dale and Jill pretty much hit about the oversight committee and the funding um, aspect of it. Um, we Another thing I would say is strategic planning. Um, we kind of bridge the gap between all of the transit programs in the area, the employer out, outreach with our uh, TDM programs, and then all of our local governments that are a part of our Um, technical committee and our executive board um, that are really making all of the transportation decisions in the area Um, and we have some small area plans and corridor plans that we try to um, incorporate TDM policies and and kind of get the TDM partners engaged in in crafting all of those plans.
2: Also now I wanted to um, turn to Triangle J Council of Governments to kind of fill us in on how um, TJ COG works uh, in an administrative role uh, to support the TDM program.
5: Yeah, thanks, Stephen. This is John, um, and I get I get real excited about this stuff. Although it's it's process oriented, not everybody gets excited about that. Um, so I did want to touch on on maybe a couple of points. Um, one is is having a a really good foundation, uh, with, with strong elected leadership and a defined plan. So really the, the TDM program started with, uh, uh, with both of the MPOs and, and NCDOT, uh, funding, a, a plan saying, okay, well, if we're going to, if we're going to have a regional TDM program, you know, what would it look like? How might it be structured? What can we learn from other places? Um, and our regional, uh, transit agency go triangle actually served as the, as the, uh, sponsor for that, uh, for that plan. Um, so that really set us on the right course. Um, cause then it gave us kind of a little, a little textbook to follow, which, which we've evolved over the, over time with, but having that foundation was important. Um, and then our, uh, you, you might've gathered from, from the discussion, you know, in a lot of places, an organization like Triangle J would also be the MPO. so you'll you'll go to some places and the Regional council and the MPO are co-housed. And that's not the case in in our region or many. Um, and so so we've had great uh, collaboration between the Regional Planning Council, Triangle J, the two MPOs, both of which have um, you know have have uh, uh, their own kind of urban centers. Uh, I, you know, I like to joke that our, and it's true, that our, our busiest freeway link in the entire region is right at the MPO border, right? It's, it's I-40 in the Research Triangle Park, and that's where our two MPOs bump up against one another. Um, and then NCDOT, uh, right? A, a steady partner. Um, in fact, uh, NCDOT having a, um, uh, a goal for reducing uh, the growth in commute VMT. Uh, it was a big uh, important standard for us to be able to measure ourselves against uh, so that strong leadership that strong planning foundation and that strong collaboration between the partners right any any it's a voluntary collaboration right uh, dchcmpo doesn't have to uh, direct cmac funds uh, to the program neither does campo neither does ncdot um, uh, but they've been consistent leaders on it and and as a result actually our our two MPO policy boards, you know, on about an every other year basis, uh, come up with a set of policy priorities that they jointly adopt, uh, and TDM is is one of their one of their top priorities. So they make it real clear that this is that this is important. And then, I think what the, you know the Triangle J role in this is is I think um, two main things. One is to help leverage this funding. Uh, that comes from any individual partner, right? So if Campo wanted to have its own TDM program, it, you know, I don't think it could be as le- leveraged as well as the fact that they can combine their funding with DCHCMPO with NCDOT, and then getting our local service providers uh, to put in put in matching funds. So that uh, that leverage is one of the keys. I think the second is is administrative ease, right? I mean, you can imagine um, uh, dealing contractually with uh, with the State Department of Transportation, with two MPOs, with service providers, uh, transit agencies. Um, and so we centralize all that hassle at Triangle J. We have a kind of a consistent approach. Um, you know, we track things. Uh, we kind of make sure the, the I's are dotted and T's are crossed. So we remove that burden from any of the funding partners. And then the third is is to really rely on this local service provision. Um, so we have, I think it's 14, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, Sean and Shuchi. I think we have 14 different service providers which are funded annually and f- through an annual call for projects to provide the services and they range from regional services uh, that are primarily provided by our uh, regional transit agency, uh, Go Triangle, uh, to um, Uh, Services provided through individual communities. So the city of Raleigh or the town of Chapel Hill uh, to universities. uh, I think we mentioned they have they have TDM programs uh, often individually branded. Right. But they receive funding uh, through this program and for all of our service providers uh, and especially the local ones. They actually overmatch on the uh, CMAC fund. So people who are familiar with that congestion mitigation air quality funding source knows, know that it's a reimbursable program, uh, reimburses for 80% of eligible expenses, um, therefore 20% having come from match. All of our local service providers put in at least a 50% uh, match. So we're able to then leverage those those CMAC dollars to, to go even uh, even more widely. Uh, and I think having that annual call for projects, um, also helps kind of keep keep organizations on their toes. It, it doesn't become something that that they can automatically expect. Uh, they have to uh, they have to show that they're doing what they said they were going to do and that it's meaningful. Um, and then Triangle J also does the evaluation and monitoring for all of the services that are provided. Um, so we're able to report on on the the impacts, um, which helps both the funders uh, know that they're they're getting uh, valuable services. Uh, but also then lets the service providers know that that their efforts are are being uh, monitored and looked at and and not just in a kind of punitive way right one of the reasons we like to do the evaluation and monitoring is there may be some activities that that a service provider is doing <laughs> that that seem especially effective and then we want to share that with others and encourage them to to pursue similar paths all of the service providers meet as a group um, uh, periodically to, to share experience, uh, to, um, you know, to help make the the overall program better. So, so the administrative structure has, um, uh, uh, you know, we fine tuned it over time, but I think it's, I think it's really worked for our particular situation. There may be other situations where a different structure would work, but that, you know, uh, I, I think the, the basic elements having a, uh, a firm kind of foundation in a plan having strong elected leadership uh, advocating for the program uh leveraging uh funding from wherever it comes from and then um you know maybe more of a centralized consistent administrative um uh entity but then still having that local touch that local service provider uh working directly with uh commuters and and others that you're trying to reach
3: And this is sean i would like to build on john's last point there about the service providers and the manner in which they collaborate almost on a weekly basis if not daily i think that's a really important part of the success that we're seeing with the triangle transportation demand management program a story that i really like to tell is about north carolina central university Uh, we do have 14 service providers now but years ago i think we started with just four Uh, when the program uh, just just launched after that original plan was authored. So we've been able to add service providers. And the story that I like to tell about North Carolina Central University is when we were able to uh, bring them on as a local service provider for the university uh, with just a mere $25,000 grant, our, our smallest grant to any service provider by far in that first year that they joined the program. What that meant was a lot more than just dollars. It meant that they had a contractual agreement with an organization that is supported by NCDOT in this program, by the Durham Chapel Hill Carborough MPO, which serves that university area, uh, by the Department of Environmental Quality. Uh, but even more so, you had that North Carolina Central University uh, service provider staff at the, at the campus actually immediately being connected with other TDM service providers at major universities in the region, whether that be UNC Chapel Hill, Duke University. NC State University or even some of the community colleges. So that dollar goes a long way in uh, supporting programs at the local level. And something else that I like about the North Carolina Central University story is with that small investment, uh, the chancellor of the university took great interest in the program just because of like almost any uh, university or college campus, parking is is an issue. Um, so all those, um, all those partnerships uh, really roll up and support uh, the services across the region, and I think a very uh, collaborative way. Thanks, Sean. That's really helpful. And just kind of building on that
2: a little bit, um, can one of you maybe tell us what what does the TDM program look like to the community or to a commuter? Commuter, um, what types of projects have been implemented? What's been successful? Uh, you know, if I'm an individual driver, kind of evaluating my transportation options, what sorts of things may have appeared to me over time based on the work of of the Triangle TDM program?
5: Yeah, that's a that's a great question, and I'll let I'll let uh, Sean and Xiu-Chi dive in a little deeper. The one thing I would say is, is probably unlike many efforts, right? Uh, Triangle J doesn't really try to be out front on this, right? So we don't want to confuse folks. Ah, uh, we don't want to get between them and their employer or their university. So I know, you know, your many folks listening to this may not be old enough, but there used to be a uh, an advertising campaign by the company called BASF, and and their their tagline was, you know, we don't make the pipes, we make the pipes last longer. We don't make this, we make it better, and and so. In terms of Triangle J, we're really trying to not be out front with the public, right? If the public has no clue that there is a regional TDM program administered through Triangle J, that's not a problem. What we want to make sure is that they know that there's smart commute at RTP and that they can call somebody at the Research Triangle Park Foundation and get TDM services or that they know there's an emergency ride home program available through uh, Go Triangle. Or that they know they can uh, telework if they're an employee of one of our best workplace for commuters um, uh, companies. So, um, so a lot of it is is tailoring the message and the engagement to the right relationship, right? Um, and so, uh, so that's a lot of what we do. But I'll let I'll let uh, Sean and Shu-Chi also weigh in and in kind of uh, how the how the public can intersect uh, with the um, Uh, with the TDM program?
3: So I'll say yes, Uh, in addition to some of the examples that John gave, uh, another big program that uh, our service providers are actually required to administer as part of their local work plans is Share the Ride NC, which is the state's ride matching service. And Share the Ride NC serves as a way for major employers to, as exactly as it sounds, uh, uh, employees of these major employers to find folks that they could carpool to work with. Um, and Duke Energy is a large company uh, headquartered in North Carolina and Share the Ride and Sea is actually what Duke Energy uses for their employees to, to find uh, ways to get to work uh, without having to drive alone. Um, so Suchi, maybe you can provide some other examples. Each year our service providers do a great job, I think John mentioned earlier, collaborating and coming up with new uh, innovative approaches to uh, communicating with, with our communities. And I think uh, we could probably talk about some of those most recent uh, innovative um, uh, opportunities now.
4: Sure, Sean, thank you. Um, So I think one of the most recent examples that I can share is the series of webinars called Mission Possible. So they write it as impossible and then scratch the M, so it's Mission Possible. And this was a fantastic way in which uh, over the last year, our the regional service provider go triangle, they pivoted their TDM outreach to being online. Uh, As you all know that um, most of the people were teleworking and um, the ridership in transit and shared uh, vehicles was low because of COVID concerns. And at the same time, although the, at the same time, now because the percentage of people who were teleworking had gone high and what had happened was there were a larger number of concerns, as we could see in the media and other places, arising from people teleworking in the COVID situation, not under normal teleworking situation, something like makes you not know, working at home, how to get the right table, chair, sitting straight, mental health issues, cybersecurity and all that. So, uh, you know, GoTriangle had these had this quarterly webinar series, which were very well attended. I think one of the best attended webinar series at the last one that I attended last week. There were more than 100 participants, which uh, you know, and it was on mental health. Uh, with a very well-known speaker from North Carolina uh, coming and talking about the kind of issues that people are facing and what could be done uh, by folks uh, to help address those. So I think that's the most recent example that I can share on how innovative our service providers can be in terms of outreach. I mean, even pivoting going a little bit outside the normal realm of things. And then another example I would like to share is. um, uh, One of our partners um, was planning to launch this pilot last year, but because again of COVID they could not Is to have to have something for our veterans. It seems that there are a lot of veterans in our area, but a lot of them they're not able to use transit and other shared modes because of certain health related issues. Although most of them would like to use this alternate commute options. And um, so they developed a very unique program to address all those barriers in terms of you know, noise and that post uh, PTSD kind of issues and encourage our veterans um, to to use um, alternate commute options more. So that's that's really, you know, very unique and. then uh, I think uh, Sean talked about Central, uh, so Central uh, North Carolina Central University. Um, that that's a university which is located in a very dense area, surrounded by a lot of uh, residential neighborhoods, and they have been doing some phenomenal work, working with the local neighborhoods, uh, distributing information on alternate commutes and and going even going beyond that normal. Um, audience for outreach and and taking everybody together in terms of promoting alternate commute.
2: Yes, thank you, uh, Shuchi. That's really helpful. And and I think it kind of um, helps segue segue into our our kind of next area of of focus. I mean, you mentioned how the TDM program has um, sort of evolved and adapted uh, with COVID nineteen, you know, there's been an emphasis on telework um, and uh, you know webinar series and thinking about how people can um, can can utilize uh, transit um, and and stay healthy. So, kind of thinking about the future uh, of the TDM program, um, what's what do you see as uh, as as challenges that you're going to um, encounter in the next few years, um, and and maybe. Uh, what new technologies uh, maybe, uh, would would you look to different service providers to potentially make available to the community?
5: Yeah, really, really good question. I'll offer a couple of quick things and then open it up to others. And I, I encourage, you know, Dale and, and Brandon and Jill, if you've got thoughts on this too, um, because they're, you know, they're all part of those oversight committee meetings where, where we discuss uh, discuss just these kinds of issues. Um, so I think I noted, obviously we've got uh, very rapid population growth, um, and one of the things we've seen over time is more and more um, potential service providers uh, wanting to come in and and start a program, which of course is great, uh, but then does put a strain on strain on resources. Uh, so whereas before, you know, when I mean, we started the program, uh, you know, we didn't have. Uh, places like Apex, like Holly Springs, uh, you know, communities in our region that are so fast growing, and now are becoming uh, very large, you know, job sites, uh, very, uh, very amenable to to TDM approaches. So I think one of our challenges is going to be how to continue to grow the program. Uh, second is how to keep it fresh, right? So it's just like anything else; it's it's kind of easy to fall back on a pattern to kind of do what we've always done, and and I think we're we're continually looking for ways to. Um, to try new things, to be innovative—you know, not, not for the sake of just doing something different, but to maybe look at things that we could do better or things that that have some impact but could maybe be more meaningful. So that's another uh, challenge. Um, equity, which which has been mentioned a couple times, uh, is is a real focus. And in fact, I think I mentioned that our our two uh, elected boards at the MPOs, you know, periodically revised their their transportation priorities. they They did this just just earlier in, in 2021. And one of the things they specifically said was they want to see equity considerations um, uh take a more prominent role, both in in the uh, TDM um, funding decisions, so the application process and in the types of uh, types of uh, impacts we see. So we are we're going to be in our in our application process moving forward, you know, asking our service provider applicants how will you be incorporating uh, these concerns? How will you how will you measure that? What will you do? Um, we actually have one one good example of one we started to do, um, uh, but then again, kind of got put on uh, on um, pause due to due to COVID, where one of our providers um, was going to be working with new uh, Habitat for Humanity landowners. So that, or homeowners, so that when they moved into their new house, they would receive a free transit pass, right, as an incentive to uh, to to try transit, right. You can, I think, I think some of the research shows that that if you can uh, get to people when they're making a change in in uh, some part of their life, a new home, a new job. You know that's that's an opportunity for them to try something new before they get into a, a regular pattern. Uh, so I think that would be a great example of uh, of a, of a TDM program approach that would uh, that would have an equity equity lens, right? Uh, taking uh, you know m- making it easier for uh, lower income uh, uh, homeowners uh, to tr- to try transit. Uh, but let me let other you know and, and not just you know it doesn't have to be just Sean and Shuchi, but but if others on the call have some. Some thoughts on some of those uh, future uh, future considerations that would be good to hear.
7: This is Brandon, and I would add to that, too, that we we have a lot of smaller communities around our area here in really both MPOs um, that are adapting to the rapid growth happening, which uh, John was talking about. And it's really leading to a dramatic change in land use policies and transportation plans. Um, one example of that is a half cent sales tax that recently passed here in Wake County a few years ago um, that's led to a pretty large shift in transit opportunities in the area. Um, so I think that's going to be uh, really just expanding the mindset of TDM here in the future. Um, it's been traditionally to, uh, the, the goal has been to reduce the growth of VMT. BM- Tea. So really thinking about the program more holistically is going to be important in the future um, with COVID with everything happening and the growth of urban areas, a shift from not just a car free commute, but a car free lifestyle seems to be gaining popularity in a lot of urban areas.
2: Thanks, Brandon. And, and what particularly are people kind of turning to when they um, when they opt for? A car-free lifestyle. What what uh what are they relying on to get around?
7: Yeah, so I mean, I think you really see it in more dense urban areas. Um, you know, when you're when you're living downtown Raleigh or in a downtown urban core, um, there's a lot more biking opportunities. Um, the transit opportunities are a lot more with the frequent networks um, that are implemented in the area. Um, so yeah, I would say walking, biking, transit.
5: Yeah, and this is this is John to kind of uh, add on to that. I think one of the things that we'll be real interested in looking at is uh, we've probably all heard a lot uh, that that increasingly there's likely to be more of a hybrid model of working where folks who who used to go to the you know to their their office uh, you know five days a week um, you know maybe they're only going to go three or maybe they're only going to go two. Um, and I think especially in a in a kind of sunbelt, um, metro area like the Triangle, right, where uh, living totally car free uh, takes takes some work, right? We're not we're not New York, we're not San Francisco, uh, we're not D.C. where you can really kind of do that in in wide areas. But um, if you used to be a two car household um, because uh, you know two two people were driving five days a week to work, um, and neither one of them felt like they could just go five days a week on transit or something. I actually think there's 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 some real opportunity there for for folks saying, well, you know, we can dial back to one car, and I'll need it these three days, and you can have it those two days, and we're working from home the rest. Uh, uh, to me, that's that's a potential real opportunity uh, to to grow the kind of the the, the TDM uh, ethos, if you will, um, and and it it just happened to be one of the projects we had done at Triangle J pre-COVID. Was to develop a, a telework toolkit, right, and uh, and post it online, and you know, kind of a guide both for employers, if you wanted your employees to be able to telecommute, you know, what kinds of things should you be thinking about, uh, how can you do it, and for employees, you know, if you're thinking about telecommuting here, are things you ought to be be thinking about. And I can't remember what the what the statistics were, but needless to say, the hits on our telework toolkit website <laughs> went through the roof when when COVID uh, uh, landed. Um, so, so, I think there's all kinds of opportunity, maybe not around a, a totally car-free lifestyle, but maybe a car light uh, lifestyle.
0: That was some great groundwork explaining successful TDM initiatives and projects. Now, what about if your community is looking to try TDM or improve on what they've already started? Steve asked the group what resources those communities might turn to.
3: Absolutely. So ACT is the Association for Commuter Transportation. It's actually an international organization with a really strong presence in the United States, and it really is the go-to resource for uh, TDM practitioners Uh, internationally, as I mentioned. uh, They have an international and national conference. They have um, regional Uh, Conferences as well. So beyond just networking with uh, TDM professionals, there's all kinds of resources and best practices that they've been compiling for literally decades. Great thanks, Sean.
2: And uh, I think one other thing that might be helpful, uh, maybe for you, Sean, to share with us is um, I know. uh, the Triangle J Clean Cities is housed in a Council of Governments. Um, But what might be your recommendation for other Clean Cities coalitions who are interested in uh, potentially supporting TDM programs or
3: encouraging the development of a TDM program in their area? Yeah, thanks. I'm glad you mentioned that because it's been on my mind is something I wanted to be sure uh, that we touched on here. Uh, While the Department of Energy Clean Cities coalitions across the country um, usually uh, focus a majority of their time on the alternative fuel vehicle side of things, transportation demand management certainly falls under the umbrella of the uh, national program, uh, and in fact is uh, a line item in the annual reports that uh, different coalitions are required to submit to the Department of Energy each year. So those same uh, performance metrics that uh Our standard uh, for transportation demand management in vehicle miles traveled and associated air quality benefits is certainly something that our triangle Clean cities coalition uh, in the in the research triangle region of North Carolina reports on as well. Um, And I'd go even further. I think the importance of uh, CO2 reduction, greenhouse gas emission reduction moving forward, uh, both for the Department of Energy Clean Cities programs, but just general funding sources, hopefully new funding sources in the future will be important for Clean Cities coalitions and any TDM programs as well.
5: Yeah, and Sean makes makes a real good point. And in in fact, at, at Triangle J, our Clean Cities coalition predated our TDM program, right? So when we took on the TDM program, uh, we saw just a natural affinity uh, between the types of of work they do. So we we put them in the same department. Um, and, you know, when you think about it kind of at their heart, uh, both are uh, around trying to promote uh, sustainable uh, behavior change, right? So in the case of clean cities, uh, changing behavior on the, the types of vehicles and the fueling and the infrastructure associated with those. Uh, you know, getting fleets comfortable, getting getting regular old people comfortable, and and in TDM it's the same thing. You're you're working on behavior change, right? So so rather than the go-to of hopping in your car and driving to work, you know, here are other choices. Here's how those choices can work for you, and here's how we can make those choices uh, easier for you. And so both whether it's you know alternative fuels and infrastructure on the clean city side, or or commute and other travel behavior on the TDM side, it's all about making better choices, uh, easier for for people to do.
2: That's great, John. And I think the nice uh, thing about that approach is that it's easy to slot in um, new choices as they evolve. So as we've seen the rise in transportation network companies um, or micromobility, those sorts of things, all are additional options uh, for people.
5: um, And they're all things that can kind of be plugged into that approach, is that right? absolutely yeah that's that's an excellent point because uh, it can evolve right yeah we uh you know i think we went through our our uh wave of um of bike share and then scooter share and now e-bikes are maybe going to extend that first mile last mile so yeah it's any of those those very rapid technology changes uh can fit within that structure um pretty pretty easily
2: so just kind of wrapping up here, I uh, wanted to give each of you a chance to share any final thoughts you have. I mean, I, I certainly heard um, kind of two major themes um, is how do we do more with what we have and then how do we give people options for uh, getting to where they need to go in a sustainable way? Is, is there anything in particular you'd like to leave us with as we wrap up?
5: Well, this is John. I'll just take two seconds and let others go. I think you nailed two of the big ones. The, the third one I would add in there is, is leverage, right? We're never going to have enough money to do everything we want to do. And so taking these kinds of collaborative approaches with everybody putting in a little bit of stuff um, lets us, you know, really does have some synergy. It lets us do a lot more. It lets us be much more meaningful than if we all tried to go off and do this uh, individually.
7: And
3: this is Sean. I think uh, a big thing that we're looking towards the future in improving the regional transportation demand management effort is communicating the results and benefits of our program um, more frequently and perhaps even in a more meaningful way. So we've dropped the acronym VMT, vehicle miles traveled, at least 20 times during this podcast. Uh, If you say vehicle miles traveled to uh, the average John Key Citizen, it's probably not gonna mean much to them. Now with you know a uh, bigger focus on greenhouse gas emission reductions, we talked about, I think Dale brought up earlier, the public health benefits of, um, of not just sitting in your car driving every day. Um, when you look at uh, reduced cost from wear and tear uh, on existing infrastructure, all those things are benefits that might be a little bit more meaningful Uh, to members of our community. So as we look towards updating the Triangle Transportation Demand Management Plan, we've actually been looking at the uh, Federal Highway Administration's uh, Return on Investment Calculator for transportation demand management programs as a way to spit out some of those uh, metrics that might communicate the benefit uh, of the program a little bit better.
8: This is Jill. I guess just from an air quality perspective, I don't think that we'll be able to continue to have the clean air that North Carolinians expect if we don't do things like TDM. Um, we can, as I said before, we can have all the regulations in the world, but in the end, it's gonna be it come down to people making choices. This is Brandon and um,
7: I would just add That, like I mentioned earlier, we can't, we're not going to be able to build our way out of congestion with the limited amount of funding we have and the limited amount of resources um, and the desirability of areas to live and work where there are adequate transportation choices uh, is continuing to rise here and and most places. So I would just say that TDM programs are going to continue to be a cost-effective, sustainable, and collaborative strategy to increasing transportation issues.
0: So that's it for this on the go episode on transportation demand management. Thanks to the team from Triangle J for joining us today and sharing your insights.
1: And with that, it also looks like it's time for our transportation news trends and tidbits section. What do you have for us this time, Molly?
0: So if you work in this space, you might be familiar with the Federal Highway Administration's Alternative Fuel Corridor Program, which is establishing a national network of alternative fueling and charging infrastructure along highway systems. Our team here at NREL recently released an update to the Alternative Fuels Data Center Station Locator tool that helps planners and Clean Cities coalitions explore these corridors and build out stations around them. The tool now includes all of these designated corridors, as well as letting users easily measure the distance between stations to help plan for new infrastructure along these routes.
1: Okay, well, that definitely sounds like a practical and really helpful update, and so if you're interested in taking a look at those alternative fuel corridors, you can just find that tool at afdc.energy.gov stations.
0: Thanks, Eric. And that's it for today's episode of On the Go. I want to thank the U.S. Department of Energy's Vehicle Technologies Office and our team here at the National Renewable Energy Lab for their support.
1: As part of that, a big thanks to Brittany Conrad, our podcast editor. We couldn't do it without you.
0: If you want to learn more about Clean Cities and its partnerships to advance affordable domestic transportation fuels and technologies, visit us at cleancities.energy.gov.